This episode of the Restoration Today podcast is brought to you by First Onsite. It seems like every business is looking to hire right now, but what are you looking for? First Onsite is searching for new team members that want to help others while building an authentically fulfilling career for themselves. Interested? Learn more at firstonsite.com careers and find out how you can make a difference. First Onsite, together we rise. Hey, Restorers, thanks for checking out another episode of the Restoration Today podcast. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by somebody that I've been chatting with over email for a few months, and I finally get to quote unquote meet him in person, not really because we're on Zoom, but I finally get to meet Elon, who does um, repairs, um, equipment repairs in the industry, and he is kind of a wealth of knowledge on what it takes to repair equipment and the difference between can you repair it in-house, do you have to send it back to the manufacturer, differences between brands, which we won't get a whole lot into, but um, I am very excited to have him join me for this discussion. So Elon, thank you very much for joining me. Can you share a little bit about yourself and kind of your your background? Like how long have you been doing re- equipment repair in the industry? Hi, Michelle. Thank you for having me. Um, about three years I'm doing this, I want to say. Okay. And, or have you always been in restoration? Like how did you get into doing equipment repair? Um, well, um, I had, um, when I just moved to the States with my wife, I had, we had a business together for 14 years in retail. Okay. Uh, we used to sell in uh, kiosks in the shopping mall, mm-hmm. but the uh, retail died and I had to look for something not to do. Okay. Okay. So, like, uh, it was like right at my uh, mid, uh, midlife crisis. So that's how I got into restoration. Okay. So were you, like your company says, were you literally born to repair things? Have you always kind of been like a tinkerer and take things apart and understand how they work? Uh, well, uh, I uh, I really like to repair, but, uh, you know, I, th- I thought it was a good business name. It is basically. a good business name. I mean. So that's, that's why I chose it. You know, you hear stories of some children who were like literally born taking apart things and trying to figure out the inner workings and then putting them back together. So I wasn't sure if maybe that was where it came from. Well, how did you learn to repair equipment? If it's just like last three years, you had to have had some kind of background or experience. Or um, you figured it out. As a child, I used to be an electrician's assistant. There you go. And uh, I learned um, um, almost everything that I needed to learn about electricity. Since then, I really like to, to repair stuff. Okay. And it, it always used to be my hobby. Now it's not uh, so much of a hobby anymore. I was just noticing all of your stuff in the background. I didn't notice John's books and there's like a CNR logo there. I didn't notice all that until we're just, I like yes. it. Nice little John's background. Thing. Yep. There's the experience over here that you probably can't see. Yep. And this, this is my award for, uh, for my socks. Yep. More like my shoes because I didn't collect a lot of socks, but I did collect a lot of shoes. Hey, it's, you can wear them on your feet. It, it works out. So how did you get into restoration? I mean, do you do repairs outside of restoration or mainly it is just niche in restoration? I actually started with appliances. Okay. And it's a long story, but I found myself um, um, in, a, in a restoration company trying to kill some time. And the, the owner uh, in the interview noticed that I repair appliances. He took me to the warehouse and asked me if uh, I can do something about his broken pile. 
So that's how I taught myself how to uh, specifically repair uh, restoration equipment. Okay. How, where are you? You're located on the West Coast, right? Like, are you mainly working with companies that are local to there, or do you work with companies nationwide? I, um, I live in San Diego and I service the San Diego area and the surrounding. Okay. So, for example, yesterday I was in South Los Angeles. And um, I also teach how to repair. So, that I do all over. Some, uh, some companies, they fly me over. And uh, then I teach them how to repair in their own uh, warehouse. Okay. Or, or, or just over like a Zoom or FaceTime. Okay. So what is the value that you're finding owners are seeing with repairing their equipment versus completely replacing it or the money savings between like repairing it in-house versus paying for shipping, shipping it back, then it's out and you don't get to use it for a while. You might need that for a job. Like what's the value of getting it repaired in-house? I might've just answered part of your question, but sorry about that. But <laughs> uh, so, so the value is usually unexpected. Like for example, when, when sending equipment to the, to the traditional repair shops uh, that I don't want to mention, because I, you know, I don't want them to kill me when I'm sleeping. So, <laughs> so it's very frustrating a lot of times to, to deal with. I don't know how it is in, in other places, but uh, people who I talk to, um, they find themselves uh, sometimes waiting for several months until they get the equipment back. Mm -hmm. And uh, some, sometimes it takes uh, like a month until they just get an estimate for the, for the repairs. Then, there are, then the estimate is full of um, stuff that you don't really need, like you're replacing stuff that are not really broken. And, and all, all that adds to, to the cost, uh, but the, the saving is not necessarily the cost. When, when you have 10 pieces of equipment that are not with you, then you can't really take another job. Yep. And, and that's where the real cost is. So, so the value of uh, being able to repair yourself or having somebody like me that comes to your warehouse to repair for you when, when you just call um, is, is uh, not necessarily the, the amount that you save um, on the repairs themselves, even though it's, it's uh, at least half, if not even more. Uh, the value is mostly that, that you have with the equipment with you. Um, and, and it's not just a somewhere in somebody's warehouse uh, collecting dust. And it sounds like you've actually worked with some of the manufacturers to really get to know their products and their machines, right? So you are actually skilled in repairing like specific brands. You actually know how they work and can repair them by working directly with that manufacturer as well, right? So one thing that is funny that happened to me is that um, uh, B Air was bought by Lasco, and the people uh, doing their uh, uh, warranty services um, left the company for an uh, unknown reason, let's say. And let's say, okay. <laughs> so Lasco hired me. They flew me to Texas, and I taught their warranty company, uh, the warranty uh, department, how to repair their own equipment because nobody there knew how to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, so there was a time where there was no no service at all. They would just send you new equipment. But now 
now uh, you know now they know how to repair their own equipment they also um, send me like um, like samples of new equipment uh, so you you can't really see that with my setup but all around me I have like a prototypes and stuff that people send me um, and I just tell them what's my opinion about it so Lasco, for example, I just received one, uh, one um, compact DHU that they're planning to, to put out to the market and they didn't yet. And they're waiting for me to uh, tell them what is my opinion about it. Are there certain types of equipment that you shouldn't try to repair in-house or have somebody come fix? Like, you know, there's air movers and DHUs and then there's hydroxyls and ozone and just a whole bunch of different technology that restorers use, right? So is there anything that you shouldn't try to repair on your own that should go back to the manufacturer or is it all kind of, you can do it? Um, well, everything can kill you basically. <laughs> Good answer. Yes, if you get uh, the, so, so before we just spoke about uh, the article that I sent you for your magazine. Yep. And if you look at the last picture that I sent you, you can see that I'm actually working inside, a, a, you know, in a puddle of water. So uh, when repairing equipment, uh, like for example, dehumidifiers, if you want to look for a leak, you have to, uh, you know, to create a leak mm -hmm. or at least to force feed the uh, water into it to see where it's leaking from. And the whole thing of course is, uh, you know, working with electricity. So, um, um, you know, you have to be kind of dumb to, to do it, to be honest. Or crazy. I mean, are you a daredevil at heart? Like, are you the type of person that would go bungee jumping and skydiving and like, I'll do all the things, cliff jumping? Heights is not for me. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> standing in water with electricity around is then. So <laughs> you found it. Look, it's... Um, it's, it's a risk that uh, I'm willing to take. And you, you drive in your car and you take a risk on yeah. the way to work. And we're we are all willing to take it. So I know that I take the precautions that are necessary. When I teach people how to repair, I you know teach them how to take precautions. I teach them what not to do, but basically, you know, there's, uh, there's always a uh, risks in in any business unless you're just uh, sitting down next to a computer but there's even uh, there's even risks in that there there is even risk just from sitting here if you sit here for too long then you could cause health problems just from sitting for too long do you find and that i would not do or i cannot it? do yes i feel that i feel that do you find that there's maintenance that contractors are failing to do that's leading to some of the repairs that need to happen? Is that like what triggers a lot of it or like? Um, yes. So everybody is, uh, everybody is just ignorant. Everybody. And it's not their fault. Uh, some of it is uh, uh, it's because of the IICRC that are just uh, giving wrong advice. Okay. And most people are just uh, not interested, to be honest, in, uh, in knowing anything about their equipment. They see it as a tool to make money. Mm -hmm. So here's a tool, throw it into somewhere, then collect the paycheck, and nobody cares about the rest. Yep. And I get it. It's a business. Business is business. 
so I get it. But you can uh, you can extend if you do care about the lifespan of your equipment. If you do care about the performance of your equipment, there are ways to um, you know to make sure that everything is working correctly and that uh, the lifespan is extended. Do you have any advice or recommendations for companies that like maybe are lacking in keeping up with their equipment, like a specific tip, like, hey, you should be doing X every time your equipment comes back into the shop? There's a, you know, there's a, three things I tell to, I tell everybody, and I also mentioned it in the, in the previous article I wrote for you. Um, First thing is uh, keep your equipment out of the containment or the room where demo is happening. So if if you have a, if you have a demo, you know take the equipment out, let the dust settle, then reintroduce the equipment when the dust uh, settled. This is uh, so simple, you know, especially with uh, machines that are sucking dust inside. Yeah. Everybody would know to do that. Yeah. The, the next thing is uh, when, when loading the, the garbage bags into the truck, don't load empty, uh, full uh, garbage bags that are not even tied and they're full with uh, like dust and nails and, and screws. Don't load them right on top of the equipment because that uh, trickles down into the equipment. And I'm the, surprised even do that. Sorry. Sorry? I'm surprised people would even do that. That seems like takes two seconds to tie the bag, right? Everybody does this. This this is like the, the thing that everybody does. It's like you do the demo, then you 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 know you put everything on the equipment. <laughs> okay. Any tips for while they're cleaning the equipment? Like ideally. After some jobs, you need to go back and clean your equipment before you're taking them to a new job site to avoid cross-contamination. So do you have any tips for companies for that cleaning process to make sure they're not damaging the equipment? Yeah, well, there's the third thing, which is oh, uh, uh, using uh, filters that fit and that are clean. Okay. So when, when cleaning equipment, you know, uh, one thing that the people learn from the IICRC is that when cleaning a DHU, you should use a, a air compressor. And that's just wrong because that just pushes the, the dirt right into the DHU and reduces performance and also uh, eventually clogs the, the pumps. So um, instead, just do the opposite. Use a vacuum cleaner that pulls out the dirt. Mm -hmm. Okay. So this is this is the best piece of advice that I can give to anybody who just wants a clean equipment. Use a vacuum. Okay. And the toothbrush. Toothbrush. Very important. Does it matter if it's a soft bristle or a medium bristle or a hard bristle? It depends. It depends on your gums. <laughs> it does depend on your gums. Depends on your dentist. Depends on the time of life. Yeah. Because uh, I just used the one that I just finished uh, using. Then I, I just use the, the toothbrush instead of throwing it to the garbage. Great. I'm going to take that's gross. And I know that you didn't. So I'm going to take it as you didn't because gross. <laughs> but uh, but uh, seriously, the, the toothbrush has uh, bristles that are, uh, that are uh, hard enough to, to clean the, the dust and the pieces of dirt, but are soft enough to not uh, bend the, the fins of the coils. 
And that's why I recommend uh, I recommend a toothbrush. Okay. All right. So you just wrote another article um, that's not out yet, but it might be by the time this podcast is out on Frankensteining. So yeah. what is Frankensteining? So let's say let's say that you don't send your equipment out to to be repaired, and you're repairing your own uh, warehouse. And some of the equipment is just not worth repairing because the cost of the repair is valued more than the, the replacement of a dehue. Or at least like if you have a used car, for example, um, the value of the used car is, is less than the value of a new one. Yeah. So that's how I value, uh, you know, if something is worth repairing or not. Because if you can get a used one for, uh, for a better condition, then there's no no reason to repair. So anyway, let's say you're repairing your own uh, warehouse. You have a bunch of equipment that is not worth repairing, but you know how to repair instead of order instead of ordering parts, you can just use the the parts in the equipment that is not worth repairing in the equipment that uh, is worth re uh, repairing. That uh, saves a lot of the time and money because you don't have to wait for the parts to arrive and um and there's actually an uh, untapped uh, a market that uh, nobody has uh, thought of yet of uh, parts from equipment that is, uh, that is not worth repairing just because it's a very small industry mm -hmm. and people are making so much more money by, by you know, restoring yeah. <laughs> that, uh, that nobody actually uh, took a moment to, to tap into this market. But um, but when the you know when the pandemic happened and parts were were very difficult to to get, uh, I actually because uh, sometimes I remember who has which parts, and sometimes somebody else uh, needs yeah. those. So I used to drive around you know collecting parts because you know they weren't available and people needed their equipment. That's it. So I just uh, you know bought from one, sold to the other one. That's pretty smart. Pretty smart. Uh, now I don't really do that so much anymore because, uh, you know, parts are all available now. And the price of gas. And you live in California. Mm -hmm. I can list a number of reasons that I wouldn't be driving around getting parts, but <laughs> it's good. It's good customer service. And you figured it out. Um, okay. Anything else you think that restorers should know or anything else we should talk about on kind of this repair maintenance thing? So many companies don't have warehouse managers, and I yep. think that a warehouse manager is probably one of the more important um, positions in a, in a restoration company. Even a small, even a small company, you know, just take one of the techs, tell them, "Here's another couple of dollars an hour. Now you're the warehouse manager." Then. You know, you'll have instead of a, instead of having the tech the tech uh, sometimes wait to for a call, you know. Now let them sweep, let them clean, let them organize. Mm -hmm. It's so useful to have somebody you can call and say, "Hey, you remember the job from like three months ago? We had like a, a we had like a flashlight. Uh, the uh, where is that flashlight? You know, mm -hmm. instead of just schlepping to the Home Depot and buying a new one with a whole truck and a whole crew." Um, sorry, it looked like the video froze there for a second. It was like, and I think I got caught off guard when your lights changed color. It was like green and then it was blue. And I had this moment of like, 
I don't know what happened there. Sorry, but it looked like she froze and I lost it. Okay. So all of these warehouses you've been to, you don't have to name any specific companies unless you want to give somebody a shout out, but like, what are some things that you've seen in the most well-run warehouses? Um, so, the, you know, from, from my perspective, because I work in the warehouse is a clean warehouse. Yeah. And, and the floor that doesn't make my pants block. That seems so, so basic, right? But I believe it. But uh, you know, if the warehouse is uh, clean, then you know that um, that also the same attention is put in other uh, aspects of the business. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, again, that that brings me to to my other point. You know, have a warehouse manager. Yes. Because if you have a warehouse manager, he will point out everything else that is not working in the company. <laughs> there you go. Everything else that's not working. I if mean, it does boil down to that, right? How fast the equipment can get out, how it's cleaned, how it's maintained. I mean, that shows a lot about the company. A well-run warehouse does show a lot about a company. I've seen some so, good ones and not so good. So if you have a warehouse manager, instead of uh, uh, um, downloading, not downloading, unloading the, the trucks, uh, straight into the inventory, just put them in the dirty pile. Yep. Then the warehouse manager puts everything back in place after giving everything a wipe down. There you know, go. that makes your equipment looks so good. And then when, when uh, putting it back on a job, you know, one time, because, um, um, you know, I occasionally uh, look in the Facebook groups, mm -hmm. occasionally. Mm -hmm. Not every day at all. No, I won't call you out at all on your, no. I. Mm -mm. So anyway, uh, there was a post. Somebody somehow got into the, to one of the groups and, and he's like a customer who has um, a DQ in his house. And he posted a picture of the filter oh, no. uh, to the group. And he said, and he said, what do you guys think about this? And he got so many angry comments. Why are you touching somebody else's equipment? And, and uh, you know, that's none of your business and it's no health risk for you. And I mean, the-, the But it was a homeowner? It was a property owner who was posting it? Yes, he was not in the restoration industry. It's like somebody who had a loss and he has equipment in his house. And, and the people got so defensive. In my opinion, the people who are defensive are the people who their filters are dirty all the time. I mean, just shut up and replace your filter. Is that so difficult to do? Okay, I'm following <laughs> this now. So this was active equipment on a job site and the restorers were like, if we bring our equipment into your house, you shouldn't be touching our equipment. I'm following the yeah. story now. And you're like, it was dirty. Sorry, you guys, it was dirty. Why didn't you? It, if it had been clean, this wouldn't have been a thing. If it makes the, the homeowner feel better, wh why not to put equipment that makes him feel better? He doesn't care if you have Bluetooth in your equipment. He no. doesn't care if you have a tracking device. He doesn't care if you have uh, two humidity sensors or just one or if you don't have it all. all. All he cares is that when you bring something to his house that it's clean, yeah. that it won't make him sick. 
So so why why to be such a such a and uh, sorry but the uh, <laughs> not the first time somebody's sworn on my podcast and that's minor it's totally fine. So but uh, why not to to just make sure that your equipment is clean? Yeah. Okay. Any other equipment ho- horror stories to share? I always love a good story that has to do with a restorer or whatever. If you if you by accident uh, send your your um, uh, extractor to to uh, to be uh, repaired, you know, please if you can hear me, please clean it before. Why did I think that that was where that was going? Gross. Because uh, many times uh, all of the brain water is still inside. They, they didn't even uh, spill out the brain water. Y- usually when I get an extractor to be repaired. <laughs> no. Of either brain water or uh, sewage water. <laughs> That's sewage also water, what is happening. Brown so. water, all the different names for it. That's disgusting. Thank you. The stinky water. The stinky water, yes. But but after all, there are not that many Cat 3 losses in this industry, in case you haven't heard. Anyway, okay, all right. Um, okay, anything else? We've covered a lot. Anything else you want to add? Um, no? Um, I, um, let, me, let me plug in a few stuff uh, because uh, you know why not? Okay. Yeah. Is this a good time to plug in? Yes, you may. Absolutely. Because one of my questions for you is what's next for you and how much are you growing and where do people find you? Go. So I have, um, I have a new cleaning product. It's called uh, Restoration Equipment Cleaner. It's great for both the inside and the outside of the equipment. I already started selling it to my clients. And I uh, use it to clean the coils without uh, corroding, uh, eroding anything. And it's uh, safe for uh, children and animals. It's uh, biodegradable and earth-friendly. So um, it's uh, coming out soon to the general public. Okay. Um, I just uh, opened... um, a new Facebook group. It's called In-House Restoration Equipment Repairs. Okay. It's not a place to learn how to repair restoration equipment. It's a place for people who already know how to repair restoration equipment uh, to be able to share uh, ideas or get, you know, tips from each other. Okay. Because, you know, uh, restoration equipment is very dangerous. And... And, you know, a Facebook group is just not a place, uh, it's just not a good place to, to get all of the knowledge that, uh, that uh, you need to not die by accident, which is kind of uh, important sometimes. Some people might need to hear that groups aren't everything. So that's a wise bit of knowledge there. Okay. And do you have a website or what? So if you're not repairing, if you're not repairing on your own, where else can people find you? What are your other, I know you have other social handles and stuff like that. So where else can people find you? Uh, well, I have um, uh, Instagram and Facebook, both are uh, born to repair. Okay. Uh, I think that's the best place. I don't have a website yet, but uh, something is coming soon. And when I say soon, I mean like in the next uh, five or 10 years or so. 
in the pace that is, uh, you know, going. I think you've grown oh, fine without it, so you might not need one. Oh, you can also find my articles on the CNR magazine. <laughs> Good plug. Thank you. <laughs> I need other people to plug me. I appreciate that. Okay, well, Elon, thank you so much for all of your insight and for the articles you've been writing. So people who are listening to this, yes, be sure to check out his articles and be sure to follow Born to Repair on Instagram and Facebook. And um, Elon, I look forward to hopefully meeting you in person, maybe at a show someday or crossing paths. For more restoration today, visit our website, cnrmagazine.com, or find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts.